Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. Remember that classic 90s movie, My Cousin Vinny? Can you tell me, what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a four barrel carburetor? It's a bullshit question. Does that mean that you can't answer it? It's a bullshit question. It's impossible to answer. Yana, Ms. Vito's expertise is in general automotive knowledge. Joe Pesci plays a big city lawyer, tasked with defending his nephew from a murder charge in small town Alabama. At the end of the trial, he claims his girlfriend, played by Marissa Tomei, is an automotive expert, and he calls her to the stand with the entire case hanging in the balance. Well, spoiler alert, Marissa's dramatic testimony ends up saving an innocent man. Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. It's a fun moment in a great film, however implausible it seems, because nothing like that could possibly happen in real life, right? We spoke to some experts. And the courtroom procedures in My Cousin Vinny, including the sheer folly and chaos depicted in the film, isn't far from the truth. What exactly we mean by that will become clear as you listen to this story. It's a tale that could be pulled straight from a Hollywood film. And it too would be funny if it weren't so sad, terrifying, and real. I looked him dead in the eye and I said, your expert's wrong, you need to get another expert. 
you have these sciences that are labeled forensic science, but they're theories, they're myths. The trial is dog and pony show. All these people heard was lies. I was horrified. There's nothing a judge can do. There are no standards. There are no qualifications. There is no oversight. Simply because somebody is accepted as an expert doesn't necessarily mean that they know what they're talking about. From Discovery Plus, ID and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, Experts on Trial, a seven-part series that investigates a crisis in the American court system that will leave you hoping you're never accused of a crime that an expert says you committed. I'm Billy Jensen. And I'm Alexis Linkletter. For the past few years, my partner Billy and I have been investigating an alarming problem in the American criminal justice system. It has to do with forensic experts, like blood experts, arson experts, bite mark experts, and many others. We looked at several different cases that you'll hear about in this series. And when you find out what we've uncovered, it will leave you, like us, in total disbelief. Here's the thing you need to know. We can't trust everything that forensic experts are saying. And if you want proof, then just listen to the case of David Cam, one of the most horrific stories we've ever heard. Not just because the crime is so cold-blooded, but because the injustice that David suffered is too unimaginable to be true. Just before dusk on September 28, 2000, Former Indiana State Trooper David Cam gets into his car and heads to the local gym to play basketball with some friends. He leaves his wife Kim and his two young children behind at home. What would appear to be just another afternoon in small-town rural Indiana actually marks the beginning of a horrifying series of events that would change David's life forever. What exactly happened that night? Well... It was a Thursday. We had been a group of guys. This is Indiana, so we play basketball, right? Sure. I talked to Kim around 5 or 5.30, told her I was going to be going to play ball. Uh, Bradley had swim practice that night. It's my son. Jilly, my little girl, spent some time with Kim's mom. We played ball for two hours, maybe a little more. We left the gym somewhere around 9.15 or so. And when I got home and raised the garage door, that's when I saw Kim. She was laying on the garage floor in a pool of blood. I jumped out of my truck, ran in. I knelt down by her side. I remember calling her name. I, I was a police officer for 10 and a half years. I saw way more death than, you know, a person should during the course of my career. I knew she was gone, and I just thought about the kids. I didn't see them in the immediate vicinity around Kim, and that's when I looked in the vehicle. And my little girl, Jill, was on the passenger side in the rear and Bradley was on the right side of the Bronco, and um, they were in kind of awkward position. I got into the Bronco, 
My initial observations, I thought Jill was gone. It appeared to be a head wound. Her little head was laying down in her lap. And Bradley was laying over kind of on the right-hand side in between the seat and the window. And I grabbed him and picked him up and carried him out of the car. I laid him down on the garage floor and I gave him CPR. I don't know how long. I don't recall, maybe five minutes or so. And I knew I needed help. David runs to his home phone and dials his former colleagues at the Indiana State Police. The call is recorded, and just as a warning, it's difficult to listen to. Dave? Get everybody out here to my house now! Okay, all right. My wife and my kids are dead! Everything's gonna be okay, all right? We're gonna get Remember, everything's not okay! Get everybody out here okay, now! They're coming. Go to Dave Cam's house now. Some people say, well, why didn't you call 911? Well, I had been a state trooper for 10 and a half years. I knew the number to the state police post by heart. So I called my, I called my former friends. I called my former colleagues. I called, called the people that I thought would, you know, were gonna save me because I needed help. Within minutes, state police arrive at David's house. Defense attorney Stacy Uliana recalls the chaos and confusion of that evening. As the police start showing up, I think it quickly becomes, I wouldn't say a circus, but a media frenzy. You know, you got this beautiful uh, suburban idyllic family who just wiped out in their country home on a fall night. So I think there's a bit of a panic. The Indiana State Police don't usually deal with triple murders like this. And I think a lot of them quickly start looking at Dave because who else could have done this in their mind? So they start questioning his behavior. He doesn't want to hug. He's walking back and forth. He's um, angry one minute, he's sobbing the next. He's staring out like a zombie. And they question whether that's how a person would act or not. We also spoke to prosecutor Steve Levko about the case. Obviously, you're always going to look at the husband first. What was his demeanor like? Well, um, there were witnesses who said that he was, uh, I'm not trying to describe it, but excited, certainly not calm at the scene. They would go there with an open mind, but I, sus I, I believe they suspected him almost immediately. As a matter of fact, one of the crime scene technicians said, this is David's crime. Why did they come to that conclusion so quickly? Typically, when a spouse dies, it's not unusual that the other spouse had something to do with it. David Cam would ride with his former colleagues back to the station as he tried to make sense of the sudden and terrible turn of events. According to David, he was completely unaware that he had already become the prime suspect. It was later that evening, a few hours, I don't know, 11, 12, may have been one in the morning when um, we met at the state police where I worked, or had worked. And we sat down for the initial interview, which I don't know, went for an hour or two, I guess. And that's when they asked me for my clothes, which is normal, I get that. So that, you know, I submitted to that, no problem, here, take them. 
the police take David's clothes into evidence and then begin the process of examining the crime scene. The state police don't really have the expertise to handle this crime scene. So what the prosecutor does next is he decides he needs to go out of state for an expert. He calls uh, Rod Englert, which is a blood spatter expert from Oregon that the prosecutor has used before in different cases. And Rod had worked for him and has gotten him convictions in multiple other cases. Rod says he can't come out, but I'll send my protege, this Rob Stites. So Rob Stites comes out as this world-renowned expert in blood spatter. The next day, Rob Stites arrives at David's house to examine the blood evidence. The local police look on as he inspects David's garage and vehicle. Stites takes meticulous notes of the location and markings of blood and, by all accounts, immediately comes to some general conclusions. He looks at the stains on the garage door and he says, aha, I can see blood spatter. Then he goes and looks at the clothing. And when he looks at the t-shirt Dave was wearing, there's obviously blood on it because Dave had gotten into the scene and had tried to give his son CPR and had removed him from the car. He looks at the shirt and he sees eight tiny stains. And he says, aha, David Cam did it. And from there, the police had their easy answer. Let's just stop here for a second. If this story is beginning to make you feel uneasy, then be prepared. Because David Cam's nightmare is about to get a whole lot worse. So at what point did you think, oh my God, they think I did this? A day or two later, we had went out to the house and I was needing to get clothes to bury my family in. And I had conversation with some of the police officers there and they were just, they were very standoffish. And I could just tell there's something, something different about the way they were interacting with me. And that's where things really just start going wrong. David Cam's family was found murdered on a Thursday evening. Before the weekend was over, the Indiana State Police had already zeroed in on David as the primary suspect. They call him into the station for the second time. The second interview, that was on Sunday, which was three days later, that was an interrogation. And there's a definite difference between being interviewed and being interrogated. These two detectives who I'd known for years, I had worked side by side with, would have given my life for. They were sitting there telling me that they have this world-renowned expert who is telling them that I have these stains on my shirt. Now, had you known that they had brought in this blood expert? Had no idea. I, I didn't know. I thought we were just going to go over the details of, you know, the events of that day and that night and and so on. So what and what exactly did they say when it came to the blood uh, spatter on you? It was something like, you know, Dave, you know, we collected your clothes and um, the prosecutors brought in, you know, this expert and we got to tell you, he's the guy. 
They said, he didn't just start doing this yesterday and he's looked at your clothes and he has something called HVIS on your shirt. Dave, do you know what that is? No, I don't. I said, well, it's these little spots that'll get on your shirt. If you're in close proximity to a shooting, he says, therefore, you had to have been present when your, when your family was killed. Now, come on, Dave, tell us what happened. Did you all have a fight? Did this happen? Did that happen? It was just such manipulative bullshit. And I, I mean, right then and there, I looked him dead in the eye. I was angry. And I said, you're wrong. Your expert's wrong. I said it repeatedly and very uh, vehemently, you're wrong. I don't care, your expert's wrong. You need to get another expert. What'd they say? They totally dismissed that. A probable cause affidavit was constructed, signed by a kid who you know was a detective at the time. I helped get on the department when he was young and they arrested me. David Cam is taken into custody and charged with the murder of his wife and children. Here's his defense attorney, Stacy Uliana. It gave police a simple answer to a complex question really quickly. And once they decided that blood spatter was the evidence and why David Cam was guilty was because of that blood spatter, nothing else mattered. As far as the analysis of the blood evidence, what was his explanation for the eight specks of blood on the lower part of the t-shirt? He said it's what's called high-velocity impact spatter. So there's this, the basis of a lot of blood stain pattern interpretation is that a skilled person can tell the difference of how blood got on fabric or a piece of wood. So they can tell you whether it came from a gunshot and it flew through the air, or whether it came from a knife, or whether somebody just rubbed up against something. So Rob Stites said he could tell by looking at those eight tanny stains that they had to have come from a gunshot. What was the police theory about how David perpetrated this crime? The state's theory then became that Dave played basketball, went to basketball around 7 o'clock, played a few games, sat out a game, snuck out, went home, murdered his family, came back, and then played more basketball. And not one of the 11 basketball players there with him noticed any blood on him, saw him leaving, saw him coming back, or even missed, missed him at all. In 2002, about a year and a half after his family's murder, David's case would finally go to court. So what did you think your saving grace was gonna be at the trial? 11 basketball players, man. The basketball players. I was at the gym. I was playing basketball. And you got these 10, 11 other guys there, counting one observer, who are saying they've never left the gym. Dave was with us. Dave and I were joking. They're saying, you know, that I was there with them. And did these 11 basketball players testify? Yes, they did. Much to David's dismay, prosecutors would immediately cast doubt on the basketball players' recollections of that evening. You play ball? You play sure. sports of any uh -huh. sort? 
Well, the last time you played ball, uh, can you remember who you guarded in the second game? Do you remember, um, well, how many points did you score in that first game? Do you remember uh, who scored the first basket? So that was, those are the types of questions that uh, the prosecutor, Stan Faith, was asking the basketball players to try and undermine their credibility. It's just impossible things to answer, especially with the, the gravity and the magnitude of everything that had happened. The lawyers for the state then introduce what turns out to be a series of credible allegations of David's adultery. So, you know, they dug into my past. This was no big secret. I had had indiscretions. I, you know, it was very disrespectful to my wife uh, on more than one occasion during the course of our marriage. You know, it, it's what it is. They brought these women, multiple, in to testify. We objected vehemently to that. We argued it's inadmissible. And again, you know, judge did what judges do and sided with the, uh, the prosecution. Finally, prosecutors turn the jury's attention to what they believe is the most important evidence at the scene, the blood. In particular, those eight tiny stains on David's shirt. We reached out to Rod Englert, the blood expert who dispatched Rob Stites to the scene of the crime. Englert would end up testifying for the prosecution in David's trial. In the Cam case. Why did they need an outside blood uh, pattern expert? Blood patterns you don't learn by going to a two-week school. Blood patterns, it takes a long time to be able to interpret. You have to have some experience in seeing it over and over and over again. And having done that in working a lot of cases around the country, and in my career, there's been thousands of them, uh, it gives you an opportunity to be able to provide opinion that you don't get trained on. And in these cases, I like to get down off the stand and demonstrate what did or didn't happen. Demonstrate to them what the evidence tells me. Prosecutor Stan Levko recalls the renowned blood expert's appearance. Well, he had an impressive list of qualifications. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. He's testified as an expert witness in many cases and, you know, a lot of experience. What was his presentation like? I thought it was impressive. Uh, you know, he, he had a few, uh, you know, experiments that he actually did in front of the jury. I think it was compelling to me. What was making you so sure? You look at those dots, and, and I would say that it would appear to the average person that those are far more consistent with a spatter, with a high velocity thing, than a transfer smear. After the prosecution rested their case, David Cam finally gets his chance to defend himself. His lawyers call their own experts to the stand. Well, I mean, if the state brings in an expert, you have to bring in an expert. That's the only way to really combat that. And what did, where did you find your expert and what did your expert say? Yes, we ended up with two individuals Scientists, I want to add, because that's very critical in uh, this conversation. Terry Labor and Bart Epstein, who were with the Minnesota State Crime Lab. And after they did all of their evaluation and their analysis, 
They said, this is bullshit. To find out if it really was bullshit, we called up Bart Epstein, one of those experts David mentioned, and he agreed to discuss his findings. What did you observe and what was your interpretation of, of the blood at the scene? David Cam had a blue pair of shorts on with his gray t-shirt and these eight small stains were on the bottom portion of the t-shirt, but there was no small blood spatters found on the blue shorts underneath that. And so why would it magically end right there and not also carry on to the blue shorts? The question that comes up is, well, how did, how did Jill's blood get on him? I believe David Cam's shirt came into contact with Jill's hair and left these small deposits. And that was major difference of opinion. There were four blood spatter experts for the prosecution who agreed with the idea that these stains were caused by gunshot. And there were four of us on the defense side indicating that these were caused by contact to Jill's hair. Art Epstein would conduct his own performance for the jury by running multiple t-shirts over blood-soaked wigs. He was able to produce similar patterns to the one on David's shirt. It was transferred. It was transfer from me getting in the car. I'm in the crime scene. I'm in the vehicle. Brad and Joe were both in the vehicle. They were both shot in the vehicle. There was blood all over. After a nine-week trial, the defense finally rests their case, confident that their depiction of the science of blood spatter demonstrated David's innocence. Unfortunately for David Cam, the jury would see things differently. What was it like when you heard the verdict guilty? Unless you've been in that seat and in my shoes, I, you know, it was, uh, it was like everything. I didn't hear anything. It was just, it's just indescribable. David Cam would be sent to prison for murder sentenced to 195 years behind bars. How damning was the blood spatter testimony when it comes to the jury finding David Cam guilty? So it's essential because it's the only proof they have. Without it, they have insufficient evidence. You have no evidence at all that Dave was even in the vicinity when his family was murdered. But the jury comes to the conclusion that Dave is guilty because they think he is a bad person, because he cheated on his wife. And then they just have a means to get there through the blood spatter. But without it, they had nothing. That's right. However, David's story doesn't end there, because almost four years later, he would get another trial. A trial that would include shocking evidence from the crime scene that, until that moment, was completely overlooked. So what do you think is that, what was the one piece of evidence that they disregarded in the crime scene? The biggest piece of evidence that they disregarded is the gray sweatshirt. Laying in the garage, apparently when they picked Bradley up 
And they scooped the sweatshirt up with him and put it in the body bag. What was the significance of the sweatshirt? The gray sweatshirt came from Department of Corrections, uh, belonging to Charles Bonet, person that killed my family. It had his nickname written in the back in the collar, and it had his DOC number written right on the tag. He basically could have just left a picture with his address and saying, I'm the one that did this at the crime scene. Come on, he did. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from obviously their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, what do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response, and after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. 
StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash unraveled. That's storyworth.com slash unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase. In late 2004, David Cam's conviction was overturned based on what should have been inadmissible evidence surrounding his adultery. It was around that same time that defense attorneys would have the opportunity to re-examine evidence collected at the scene. Here's defense expert Bart Epstein. At the crime scene, there were a few things that were confusing initially. There was a gray sweatshirt found there, and there was a palm print unidentified that was on the edge of the door. And Kim's shoes, the wife, her pair of shoes was on top of the the Bronco. No one could understand that. But later they found out that this sweatshirt was from a convict that had been recently released. And they follow up investigation. They found him and they found that it was his palm print that was on the, the truck. That ex-con was a man named Charles Bonet. Bonet was a career criminal with a foot fetish and a history of stalking and attacking women. Charles Bonet, he would um, wear this creepy like China doll mask and would attack women as they were getting in and out of their cars and steal their shoes. So let's go back to the scene and we have these shoes on top of the car. So we were so excited. We thought we found the man, everything has all come together. And they just let him go. But the state didn't agree. Here's prosecutor Stan Levko again. Bonet has a history of sexual violence. He left the sweatshirt there, he's got his palm print there. How do you explain that to the public and to a jury? Well, I mean, my job would be to explain it to the jury, not to the public, but that disregards the blood spatter. You know, the, the, fact that, uh, the fact that Bonet clearly was involved does not mean that Cam clearly was not. Bonet said the two of them, you know, did it together. And I know for me, and it's a complicated thing, that the sweatshirt and where it was to me was pretty compelling. But, but the most compelling to me was the blood spatter. You had experts on both sides. And one, one side is clearly wrong. And if you believe the state's experts, then he is guilty. In 2006, the state would charge both Bonet and David Cam as co-conspirators in the murders. The prosecution. What was the sort of final story that they landed on that were you guys in partners and cahoots? Like They say that... I had Boney meet me at my house at 7 to 7.30, that he was bringing me a gun, and that then I used that gun to kill my family while he was there. Something like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy. The story never made sense, but they went through the second trial as a conspiracy that Dave and Charles did this together. There was no evidence, there's no phone calls, nobody ever saw them together, nothing like that. 
but we still had the same blood spatter. Charles Bonet would be tried first and found guilty of murder. Immediately afterwards, David Cam would find himself sitting in court, listening to a debate over blood spatter once again. As you're sitting there listening to what the prosecution is saying happened, what's going on in your head? How does that feel? It's indescribable. I can't tell you what it's, I, I, I really, only for folks who have been what I, through what I've been through can understand. Because I can't, I can't put it into words what it's like. It's just an intolerable situation to be in, but you're helpless. What were your thoughts about what would happen? I was worried. I was definitely worried. And a lot I had to do with Englert and his presentation. Englert, to remind you, is Rod Englert, the blood expert for the prosecution. When you stop and process what David Cam is saying here, it's eye-opening. Could a flashy presentation made by an expert actually be more influential on a jury's decision than scientific facts? Englert's like the circus leader, you know, directing the, everything that's going on. And um, scientists are a little, a, a bit more dry and factual and to the point and not nearly as entertaining. So that concerned me, even though the facts were right that we presented, that concerned me. Rod Engler wasn't the only blood expert for the prosecution to testify for a second time. Rob Stites, Engler's protege, who was sent to the scene of the crime, would again take the stand. Stites steadfastly maintained David's guilt, based again on those eight tiny drops of blood. It's at this point that David Cam's story takes a surreal turn. Let me tell you about Mr. Stites. He's a crime scene reconstructionist who's uh, studying for his PhD in fluid dynamics. He's an adjunct professor at some university in Arizona, and he's worked hundreds of cases. Oh, by the way, all that that I just mentioned, none of it's true. <laughs> none of it's true. So how much training had he had? None. Had he ever processed a crime scene before? Uh, no, but you know what? He was at a crime scene once when he was uh, a short-time police officer where he uh, guarded the scene. Do you think that qualifies as determining high-velocity impact spatter on a former Indiana State Trooper's shirt? It sounds like an implausible twist in a bad film, but it's true. Rob Stites, the man who, according to David, was described by police as a world-renowned blood expert, an individual who had now testified against David twice in court. He was just a photographer, dispatched to document the crime scene on the day of the murders. At what point did you start to question the credentials of Rob Stites? There were some signs. He didn't quite know what he was doing. So we started investigating to see, you know, does, is he really in a PhD program? Uh, has he really testified? What trials have you testified in? Let's get the transcript, see what you said. Now, he couldn't produce any of those. In the second trial, you cross-examined and you questioned him about this. We cross-examined him in the second trial. And we brought out the fact that 
he lied to the first jury about multiple things. With those revelations, what did you do? Well, he admits when he lies. And he did on the stand in the state. They're like, okay, the defense is correct. He doesn't know what he's doing, but a broken clock gets it right, you know, twice a day. And so we got all these other great experts who come in and say, ah, Rob was right. The state, despite copying to Stite's lack of credentials, still doesn't dispute his findings. And they ask the jury to consider the other corroborating blood experts instead. So, second trial, how important is the blood spatter? Well, it's again what everybody holds their hat, you know, puts their hat on, right? It has to be Dave because of the blood spatter. So therefore, when you get another, not only suspect, but you, you actually get real evidence of palm print and motive for somebody else, that can't be right because the blood spatter would have to be wrong. And we know the blood spatter's right. And they can always point to those eight tiny stains. Sure enough, in March of 2006, David Cam is found guilty of the murder of his family for a second time. Well, the conviction was pretty hard to take. You know, we have spent, my um, co-counsel and I had spent years getting the case reversed, preparing for the second trial, discovering Charles Bonet, you know, and then we hear guilty. Like, it's all for naught. That was a very helpless feeling. Uh, it made me quit the trial practice for a while because it just was too difficult. David Cam's saga would continue until a third trial was granted over seven years later. In that courtroom, the blood spatter testimony receded into the background as defense attorneys focused on the overwhelming evidence of Charles Bonet's guilt, including Bonet's DNA left at the scene of the crime. The jury returned with their verdict on October 24th, 2013. It was then, after enduring 13 years in prison, that David Cam would finally win his freedom. What was it like hearing not guilty? It was just, it was overwhelming. That's hard to describe it, as well, because it's it just, you know, it's like uh, you think about the birth of your children and, you know, the greatest moments in your life, you know, and how grand those situations are. But, it was joyous, and it was uh, tear-filled, and um, very much appreciated. When you hear this story for the first time, it's pretty exasperating. How does all this other evidence get overlooked, while debate over eight tiny specks of blood destroys an innocent man's life? We asked blood expert Rod Englert about David Cam's acquittal, but Englert declined to answer, as the case is in litigation. The photographer he sent to the crime scene, Rob Stites, admitted to perjury in the case, but was never charged with a crime. The criminal justice system, it's definitely broken, because right now, with various areas of forensics, you know, it's pretty much... Uh, uh, open field for the prosecution to come in and <clears throat> bring in what I would I call them higher guns is basically what they are 
very well-paid hired guns to come in and fill all the holes that may exist in a case. It happens a lot. And that should scare the crap out of people. And this got us wondering, is what David Cam is saying true? Is his conviction at the hands of conflicting blood spatter testimony one of many in the American court system? Or is it just a weird, tragic outlier? That's the question that inspired us to make this podcast series. In the process, we interviewed dozens of prosecutors, judges, law enforcement, and victims to explore this issue of expert witnesses. And, spoiler alert. Your Honor, I move to disqualify Ms. Vito as an expert witness. It's worse than you can possibly imagine. Here are some highlights of what you'll hear this season on Unraveled, Experts on Trial. These experts, they don't have the training, they don't have the experience, and there's very little oversight. The law of physics would have had to been suspended so that the blood could loop and dive and wave. We had to go through a lot of work to find out he was a complete fraud. A lot of fire investigators said, I'm not a scientist. Well, if you're not a scientist, find another line of work, pal. Arson, handwriting, and fingerprints, and ballistics all evolved in the court as tools of prosecutors. My response was, your tools are broken. I've had juries that have said we didn't know who to believe, so we just didn't consider that evidence. If no one is checking, then you have no idea whether they're problems. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go to prison for the rest of my life or even be put to death, and there's one in four chance that person is wrong, I think that's a problem. The system is broken. It needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, and Jeff Koontz, along with myself, Alexis Linkletter, and Billy Jensen. Executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing by Mike Gattinella. Our editor is Corey Nye. The music and score that you've heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Palman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. Make sure to check for episode two next week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcasts that you enjoy listening to. Thank you for listening and for your support.